Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to another episode. I'm glad you're here, whether you've been here with me for, gosh, this podcast is like almost four years old. Uh, I know some of you have been here that long, which is amazing. Uh, I know some of you are new as well, which is also amazing. Uh, It's always sort of interesting to think about my own journey and my own evolution because this podcast is pretty much a direct reflection of that. And I always kind of think about like how we find people and things at just the right time for us, right? So for some people, they found me four years ago. For some people, they found this podcast now. Um, And it's sort of like interesting to just be myself and say what's on my mind and say where I'm at right now and allow myself to evolve or change or say I was wrong or add something to the narrative and just sort of see how people join at that point because that's sort of a mirror for where they are. And I think that's really cool and it sort of allows me to feel okay about people like listening to this podcast for a little while and then hopping off, you know? It's like sometimes things work for us for different periods of time at different points in time and different timelines. I'm going to be talking a lot about timelines today. Um, I'm coming to you from Tbilisi, Georgia, yet another location. (laughs) Every single time I release a podcast, I'm in a new place. I'm really enjoying Georgia. Even though it's 100 degrees outside, even though I'm in a big city and I don't love big cities, I am enjoying it here. I really like the food. Um, People are super nice. And I'm excited to explore other places in the country. I'm also really happy to have some downtime to be able to work and write and do podcasts. Um, Today's episode is with Elia. Elia was our safari guide in Tanzania last month. And I'm really grateful to have gotten to know him. And I'm really grateful to have gotten the experience that I had in Tanzania and not just in Tanzania, but on this trip in general. And I've had so many different thoughts about, um, about everything, (laughs) about my own life, about the world. I've, I'm totally exhausted and I'm ready to go home wherever home is. We actually have a discussion and open thread going on my Substack, which you can find at anyakots.substack.com about like, what is home and where do we settle down? Um, whether that's in the U.S. or elsewhere, like how do we react to the context of what's happening right now, especially in America, but really everywhere. Like how do we settle 
uh, within the context of something that is unsettling or many, many, many things that feel unsettling and full of transformation and movement. It's like building a house on an like active earthquake or something. <laughs> like that's what, that's what it feels like to me, at least right now. Um, very tired, very ready to go back to the U.S. and just like take a breath and decide what the next step is. But in the meantime, I'm also incredibly grateful for this experience. I sort of set out on this year-round trip um, for multiple reasons, but I think one of them was to sort of just open myself up to, like, learn. And I didn't know what I was going to learn specifically, but I do think I was moving toward this phase in my life that was like, I want to build something. I want to, like, build a house or a space and invite people in and, and create this kind of community and so a lot of my intention for this trip was to be shown whatever it is that I needed to be shown before that happened. Although I had no idea what that would be. And oh boy, was I shown some shit. Um, I think one of the major things that I've been experiencing that was a bit of a surprise for me was like, being able to sort of cultivate a more complex and nuanced understanding of where I am in my life and on my timeline, but also just where America is in its, quote, life and on its timeline. I've lived abroad a bit before, uh, when I was younger, when I was 20, and also when I was 12 in Europe. And I've always sort of just like had this idea that like everyone hates America, which in some ways I think is true. Like people don't love America. <laughs> but I also think that like I projected a lot of that because I don't love America. And I've gotten the experience of being abroad of really recognizing how differently people see the States and just like the Western world in general, to be honest, um, especially being in Africa and especially being in Georgia, actually, where I feel those two places are on a much different timeline as far as like democracy and freedom. Uh, like Georgia just relatively recently had a civil war. Like history is very close, right? Even being in Spain, there are people still alive who are alive during a civil war. We don't have that in the States. And so I'm sort of recognizing that all of these different places and all of these different people are at different points on a timeline, personally, for sure, but also collectively and culturally and societally. And so it's really interesting to put myself at in different places to see myself and the country that I came from in a far more nuanced and complex way. Because the truth is a lot of people really love America or love what they think America is or really look to it as a guide. And that was a bit like shocking and, and a big part of me wanted to be like, oh, no, 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 like you don't know what you're talking about, right? And, and even more broadly, as far as like the Western world is concerned, sort of saying like, oh, you want to be more civilized? Like, no, you don't. Like, this is the wrong direction. Um, I was writing about that a lot on my Substack as well how much we, or I'll just say I, because I don't know where you are, but for me, I, I really romanticize um, like hunter-gatherer societies, for example. I really romanticize simplicity and 
I feel that progress and civilization have caused a lot of harm. And I still believe that to be true, but it isn't that simple. And I sort of recognized myself sort of looking at these different cultures or people within these cultures trying to like micromanage their own journey for them, which then sort of reminded me of what we do in a more micro sense in our personal relationships. I started to think of this thing a little while ago. I wanted to record an intro about it, about how there are certain mistakes that or lessons that we learn that can only be learned having made a mistake in the past. Uh, I think we all want to believe that it's that we can learn things without making mistakes. And I, I mean, even I want to say that sometimes, and this isn't um, a way to excuse mistakes, right? Like, I don't want to say like, we need to fuck up. So go fuck up a lot more than is necessary in order to learn the lesson. It's not what I'm saying. But if we can find the sort of middle ground, I was thinking specifically about, I have a tendency to um, say too much or react too soon or to like perpetuate something. So if someone says something that pisses me off, I think my my inclination is to like say something always, to always try to get them to see my side, to get them to understand where I'm coming from, to get them to see that they're wrong in my opinion. Uh, but just to continue to engage, to continue to like provoke the situation, especially when it's a bit of a challenging situation, to like perpetuate the crisis, to perpetuate the argument, to perpetuate the conflict. And I've done that enough times now to where I recognize that that's not necessarily the best choice. Not all the time, but I would say like not most of the time. Um, because this this desire for me to get someone to see where I'm coming from um, often fails or just isn't productive. And maybe they shouldn't see where I'm coming from. Like they need to be where they are. They need to understand things from their perspective. They're at their point on their journey. I can't get them to see what I see. I can't get them to be what I want them to be. Maybe they'll come to that eventually or not, but either way, it's like not my business, which doesn't mean like we shouldn't set boundaries and stand up for ourselves and extract ourselves from situations that feel like unhealthy for us or unproductive for us. But this desire to get someone to see something from my perspective and then continue to do that over and over and over again when it's very clear they're not there, I've learned that's not great. And that but at the same time, like, how could I have possibly learned that lesson without fucking it up a bunch? And so it's like, I did it one time and I think the next time, oh, okay, but it'll work this time. And then I do it again and it doesn't work. And I think, okay, well, next time it'll work. And then I do it again and it doesn't work. And so now after however many, like, times that I can't even count that I've done that thing, I feel more comfortable not doing it only because I've done it a bunch. And so I, I wanted to talk about that, and then I realized that it was kind of maybe a perfect thing to talk about with this episode because I think we do that not just on a personal level, but on a collective level. So I wanted to go to Tanzania 
I mean, I wanted to go to Africa broadly, but it ended up being Tanzania. And I wanted to go for a couple, a two, let's say two main reasons. One, I've never been to Africa. And so I really wanted to experience something that was much different than anything else I'd experienced. And I also wanted to go on a safari. <laughs> I wanted to see animals. I am obsessed with lions and I've never done anything like that before. I've never seen animals like that outside of a shitty zoo or even a nice zoo, but like even nice zoos are shitty. And so we needed to be out of Europe for a couple of months because I only had three months to be in Europe. We were in um, Spain for a couple of months and then we're, I'm going back to Athens in August. And so we needed to escape the Shenzhen area. And so we chose Africa and Georgia and um, I really wanted to see animals. And so we went to Tanzania and uh, we found a tour company, Gladiola Adventures, it was called. And we organized a nine day safari. And almost immediately when we got, when we started the safari, we heard a news story about how the Maasai people uh, who are traditionally from Tanzania and Kenya, or at least that's what the, these places are called now, but originally from that area, who are pastoralists, were being violently forced out of land that they were previously allowed on. And I don't know all the details, but basically like this follows the same trajectory as so many different things, right? There are people who live, who are indigenous, who live on the land, who interact with the land in a balanced way. Um, and then civilization happens and all of a sudden there's a conflict between those people and their ways of life and modernity and progress and civilization and conservation and those ways of life. And it gets even more tricky if the population of those indigenous people continues to grow. And so they need more and more space at the same time that the civilized, quote, civilized world continues to grow and they want or need more and more space. And then like, what do we do? There's this problem. And so that's happening. That was happening on the land that I was on doing the safari. And the fuck, the thing that was really fucked up about it is I didn't even consider this, right? Like I understand the sort of colonialism in the country that I'm from, but I, I realized all of a sudden that by me going on the safari, I felt like I was totally taking part in like that I had a role in this violence against the Maasai because the reason that they're being forced off this land or kept off this land is because it's being conserved uh, for tourists, for safaris. Uh, and the Maasai often come in conflict with the wildlife because they keep cows. So the predators uh, are in direct opposition to the cows. And so if they threaten the livestock, they kill the lions and the uh, buffalo, for example. And also traditionally, they kill uh, lion and buffalo and other predators in order to, like the men do this, in order to show that they're ready to have a wife and ready for manhood. Uh, and you'll hear more about that in this conversation that we did with Elia, who is half Maasai, so he, and he was raised uh, Maasai. And so this is a problem because if modernity and civilization wants to, quote, preserve these lands and the wildlife that exists on them, then they feel that if the Messiah are in direct conflict or opposition to that, 
that they can't coexist on the land. And of course, this never used to be a problem um, because the population of the Maasai was far smaller. The population of the, quote, civilized world was also far smaller and there was a lot more balance um, and reciprocity that just took place naturally. But things have progressed and progressed and progressed and now there's just, I mean, the amount of conflicts that exist are sort of profound. And so anyway, so we go on the safari. I realize that there's this violence taking place to sort of keep the Maasai off the this, like, you know, the Serengeti, the Ngorogoro crater. And here I am, a tourist, <laughs> on a safari, and I feel like a total colonialist asshole. Uh, and then very quickly, we started to talk to Elia about this. And Elia started to express, as someone who was, grew up Maasai, a lot of complexity to this that I hadn't really considered. And I feel myself in this moment being like, oh no, but you don't understand. Like, this is not good, right? Like the Maasai should be able to live on the land as they as they so please. And it's our fault, our as in the West, our as in the conservation movement, our as in civilization and progress. But I sort of just like stepped back from that knee-jerk reaction to do that. Because because that also felt like such an asshole move. Like, oh no, you don't know what you're talking about, even though you fucking grew up here and like you've had all your own experiences and perspectives. Like, I'm going to tell you what's up. Like, that's not cool. Um, so I, I just took a step back. And again, I sort of said like, okay, world, universe, Tanzania, like show me what I'm not seeing. Allow me to come into something that's more complex than what I've assumed and allow me to be less of a asshole making assumptions about something I really don't know a lot about. And to be honest, there's far more complexity to talk about in this case about the Maasai than I really have the energy to do right now. I do want to write about it because I feel like if I can put it into words in a more organized way, it will make more sense. But what I want to say uh, in general is that, like, if you think that there's a simple answer to a problem, you're likely misguided and wrong. And I know this podcast is so much about complexity and promoting nuance and promoting the opposite of simple. But I think because we're human and because our nervous systems nervous systems want to feel calm and regulated that it's so easy for us to continue to seek simplicity and easy answers and assume that we know things about the world about ourselves about our friends about our relationship about the future and this isn't to promote like <laughs> total chaos all the time. Uh, I think the beauty of life is that sometimes like we get to a point where we're like, okay, I know this, this feels good right now and I can rest here. But inevitably that's going to change and we have to be able to participate in the sort of like uprooting from that security and that stability in order to ever find it again. You know, I think a lot of us will avoid change because we want stability so so badly 
But in avoiding the change, we actually provoke more instability because we're just like not meant to be where we are still. Like you're not meant to be in that job. You're not meant to be in that relationship. You're not meant to be on this land anymore or in this house or in this circumstance. And I know it feels terrifying to move, but you're actually not creating any more stability for yourself. You're just provoking a deep instability within yourself. Maybe from the outside, it looks stable, but you're not stable. <laughs> like things are fucked and you know it, but we're afraid to move forward. So as someone who has pretty vehemently said and thought and expressed that America sucks, civilization sucks, progress sucks, it would be way better and we would be way better to go back to living in ways that were far more reciprocal with the land and smaller in our community size and egalitarian in our tribal engagement with one another. I believe all of that. I believe all of that, especially theoretically. But if I just look at the world right now, like even this issue with the Maasai, there's 1.2 million of them, which is about three times more than there was 30 years ago. And the populations of everywhere have grown and there's an immense amount of conflict. So to just say, give them the land, that sounds beautiful. And it sounds like what I want to support. It sounds like the world I want to live in. Yes, like the native people should be able to live on the land, but it isn't that simple. So if they're participating in healthcare, which is reducing infant mortality, their population is growing a lot faster. Uh, for the Maasai specifically, this tribe um, accumulates in order to uh, show value. So accumulates cows, accumulates wives, uh, they have many wives and many, many, many children and many, many, many cows and more cows now more than ever because they've stopped being allowed to kill predators. Uh, they st it still happens, but it happens far less because these populations of these predators were coming or um, at risk of extinction. And so there's all these multiple different things coming into play with one another and I know this podcast is called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I have no fucking idea how to save the world, right? Like, I don't have any clue. The only clue that I have is to have these conversations with each other where we are willing enough to say we have no clue how to do this. Like, that's... I feel like that's what's going to save the world is our acknowledgement that we don't know how to do it. And, and to, again, as I say all the time, to understand that the question is the answer, or at least the only answer that we can come up with right now, to continue to question, to continue to prove to ourselves and to acknowledge that we don't know all the time what's best, we are totally siloed in our own little bubbles. And that can provoke immense um, gaps in our knowledge. I'm, I'm really, you're going to hear in some upcoming episodes, um, 
my own dedication to really like opening up my own silo silos if they exist uh and how important that is and i'm i'm incredibly dismayed at, at how right we think we are about anything there is always complexity there there is always something to learn from someone else who doesn't agree with you and i just i want to have I want to encourage us to have those conversations more. And I know that's what this podcast is about, but I'm just reiterating it because I feel extremely passionate about it and always have, but like things come in waves. And at the moment, like that's what I'm thinking about a ton is how easy it is for us to like, even if we don't want that, right? I think we're all really open-minded people. I think you guys are listening to this podcast because like me, you appreciate nuance and complexity and change and, and you want to feel supported in that and you want to move toward it. But um, if you're anything like me, you're still going to avoid it. You're still going to avoid complexity because it's really scary and uncomfortable. And I do it for sure. And I, I want this podcast as much as possible to like not be a safe space for me or for you. Uh, so I'm going to continue to speak about things that aren't popular and aren't conventional and even like unconventionally unconventional. Like how do we push the limits I think that is what will create a better world. Not giving someone else the information you think they need to know. Not trying to convince someone else to see it your way. But actually taking a step back and and asking them a question. Can you tell me more about that? And what about this? And how do you feel about that? What is your experience with this? What are you afraid of? about what I'm saying. And then let me tell you what I'm afraid of. We need to have these dialogues. This isn't about getting other people our information. It's about allowing us to see what information they have. Like people are, people are awesome. People are good. People are trying to do what's best. People's opinions and values are constructed based on their experiences, just like yours are. And the more we can understand each other's experiences and perspectives, especially if they're so different from ours, the better off we'll be. Because this war that we have against each other is so unhealthy and this is what's perpetuating so much division and this is what's going to provoke us to have a civil war you guys like we all understand that that's the potential end of the road of where we're going and i can tell you for sure that people in other countries who have had that happen so much more recently look at america as the ideal. America already did the civil war thing. They have freedom. They have democracy. We have it better than we think we do, but I think we're so blind and we're so siloed and we're so angry and we're so insecure and we're so lacking in in self-worth and self-love 
that we get off on putting other people in the enemy position when they're just like struggling with their own shit like we are. So I encourage you to encourage all of us to really open ourselves up to the things that make us the most uncomfortable and the people that make us the most uncomfortable and really ask ourselves why. And I find it very valuable to just sort of exist in the universe by opening myself up to this, right? Like I went on this trip not really knowing what I needed to learn, but I just said like, please show me what it is I need to learn. And then when that happened, I knew it was happening. I knew I was being presented with a lesson and I was able to hear it and absorb it and not navigate away from it. I mean, like feel what it feels like to literally put your shoulders back and to like look up and to say, teach me. What does that feel like? And then move through the world like that. It's scary. Like that's open. You're open. You're vulnerable. But it's, I don't know. That's the ticket, I think. Okay. That is enough blabbing for now. Um, I'm going to play you in with a song um, by a band called The Soil. You're actually going to hear two songs by them today. They're a band from South Africa. Uh, I came upon them, I don't know, I guess through like Spotify Discover Weekly, which is the best. I really love that. Um, and I, uh, I actually just created a new playlist of songs that I've been moving my body to over the last six months, and I posted that on Substack. Um in the latest F, uh, uh, edition of Minerva's Muse. This is something that I started way back in the day um, on Patreon, which was that I released these columns of inspiration. So I, I show you, or I share with you guys like what I'm listening to, something I watched that was really cool, a recipe I cooked that was awesome, a thing that I did that I think you should do. Anyway, I used to do them weekly on Patreon. It got a little overwhelming, but I brought them back on Substack and I'm sending them a little bit more infrequently. Uh, But I do send them out. And the latest one that I just sent out included a new playlist of mine that you can find on Spotify. So if you're not a subscriber to Substack, it's anyakotz.substack.com. It is free. If you sign up for free, you get access to everything. I am no longer putting my community behind a paywall. However, I still am dedicated to not having sponsors or advertisers on this podcast. And so literally the only way that I can make money on this project which I've been doing for three and a half years, is through your donations. Uh, To subscribe on Substack, it's uh, with money to pay for it. It's five bucks a month. And you can sort of think about it like public radio. If you have the means to support it, uh, you're not only participating financially in something that you believe in, which I think makes a big difference in the world, but you're also helping to support other people who can't afford to pay for it, but who deserve equal access to it as well. So uh, anyakots.substack.com, I'm going to be bringing back a lot of different community things to it that we were doing on uh, Patreon, like the book club and all of that. Uh, But yeah, there's playlists, columns of inspiration, lots of writing, um, open threads where we can discuss different issues. As I I mentioned, I just put one up about um, how to like the search for home and belonging in troubled times. And I would love your thoughts about it. We're having a really interesting dialogue. I love this community. Seriously, you guys are so smart. And I like genuinely, 
I like you guys genuinely support me. Um, and so that's why I really appreciate the Substack, and I, I appreciate everyone who's joined and participates because I, like you, am a human on a journey who uh, doesn't like know what they're doing all the time. And it's so lovely to hear all of your thoughts and feedback and to support each other. I think it's one of the most beautiful things of this podcast and really the major reason why I want to keep it going because it feels great to meet all of you uh, over the computer or in person or both. Um, so anyway, uh, this is a band, The Soil, that I found that I really like. They're a cappella. They're from South Africa. Um, they're awesome. I highly encourage you to look them up on Spotify. I'm going to play you another song called Corabella um, and then play you out with another song of theirs at the end. And I guess that's all for now. Enjoy this conversation. And I will catch you on the other side.
My full name is Elia Edward Molel. Molel. Yeah. The Maasai family. Ah, okay. <laughs> and your father's Maasai and your mother is from what tribe? Yeah, my father is Maasai, but my mom, she's from southern part of Tanzania, ah. region which is called the Singida region. And how did they meet? Oh, it's a long story. They all, uh, they all met in Kenya. Ah. My mom, she was a business selling some crops from uh-huh. Tanzania to Kenya. And then that's a long story. And then, <laughs> and then uh, my dad, she was there in Kenya, simply left home because of big demand from his father. So it's where they met in Kenya. Uh, and then they moved to Russia, Tanzania. But your father's from Tanzania. He was my, born in yeah, Tanzania. He's raised and born in Tanzania, northern of Kenya, very close to Kenya, which uh, is a Maasai land. Yeah. yeah. And did your father grow up in the traditional Maasai style with the, the herd of cows and and what people think of with Maasai? Yeah, sure. So my father came uh, for a big family, which his father has got six wife. So it was a really serious, uh, a traditional Maasai is where I came. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So your father's father had six wives. Six wives. And your father had two wives. Two wives. And you have? I'm still <laughs> waiting for the right one. <laughs> and your mom was the second. So wife. my mom, she was the second. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and that was difficult, you were saying, because she was not Maasai. And yeah. That, yeah. So she was not a Maasai, so she was from another tribal. So it was so hard hmm. to living in a Maasai culture those years. So it was so hard, but you know she made it. And now we've grown enough. Yep. Is it unusual for a Maasai man to marry a woman who's not Maasai? Is that unusual? The mixture? Uh, those years it is not, but now it's usual. Mm. But those years it is not, uh, and that's like the way my daddy found my mom. As what I said, uh, is actually it was in Kenya. Right. And then there is a reason my dad to left home. So my daddy, so what happened in Maasai, uh, if you want to get a wife, so always uh, your father has to move from different family looking for wife for you. Mm. So because we as a Maasai, so we, 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 we believe if your dad uh, can search a wife for you, it means that wife will be blessing. Mm. Because not all family we as a young, we know, but our parents, they know this family has got good luck. So they can go, they can talk, and then you can get surprised. Oh, this is your wife. Yeah. That is what happened. But before that, you have to ensure to your father 
Like, are you ready? Are you are you ready to get a wife? So how can you believe you are ready? Mm. It's like you have to risk yourself. For instance, you have to go to hunting a big animal, mostly buffalo, lions. That it was a must. So my daddy went with his friend. They were looking for lion, but they couldn't find a big male lion. So they ended up by lioness. So there were like a three of them, but my dad is the one who threw a spear, he killed a lioness, and then, uh, and then they took the head, which that process is took almost about five days to stay away from home, just go searching for, mm-hmm. for, li- for, for lions. And then, uh, and then uh, so after meditate kill, so they took the head, putting it in like a plastic, and then they have to cover again a few days to go back to the village. So the day I arrived to the village, it was morning. And my grandpa, he was like a chief, so always morning. We're having a lot of older people, they come in like say, hey, hey, you know, they're having tea mm-hmm. every day. So, so the house is full of people, especially in the morning, every yeah. day. So the time my daddy arrived at home, so already many people, they're at home. And then my daddy was so excited. So he said to his dad, like, oh, now I can get a wife. I've got something. And then... My grandpa was so proud, like, what do you have? Show us front of other older people. And then my daddy, poor, oh, it was a head of lion. It was a head of lion, but it is a lioness, it's not a male. So in a Maasai, a little bit is, 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 is crazy because for Maasai, they believe for men more than women. So my dad to kill a lioness is a big shame. Mm. Like uh-huh. a, a lioness, so in a Maasai, like a lioness is nothing. It's not strong enough. What? Wow. But a big male is strong enough so you can challenge another man. But to challenge female to a, to a man, that is big shame. So the other older people, they were like, wow, this is a big shame. And then my dad, he left. And then he went out. And then the older people, they said to my dad, hey, you did something wrong. You're a man. Why you go? you killing a lioness? This is a big shame. So you have to pay fine. And then in my grandpa, so he got two cow, and then he slaughtered, and to say sorry for, 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 for this older people. And, and your father and his two, the two other men, they didn't yeah, know, did they know? <laughs> that, that this wasn't going to be good to kill the lion? Actually, uh, uh, they didn't really understand, because mm-hmm. lions is lions. They're all deadly dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. would be uh-huh. very, I, w- I think I would probably be more afraid of the lions. Yeah, of yeah. course, because few cases, you know, some of people get killed by lions yeah. and die. Yeah. So for them, it was like, oh, lions is lions. It's not easy to take down lions. Yeah. That's what they thought. That's strange that they didn't know that this would have such a... Uh, a negative consequence. Yeah. And this was this is very traditional for very, a long very, time. Very, that, very traditional for yeah. a long time. But now government they're coming in, right. so now it's not allowed anymore to, to hunting this wildlife. As you can see, they bring a lot of money to the country. Yeah. So now you need to have more cows. Is how people they will respect you more by having more cows. Is where the family you are going to marry is where they will value because you have to pay a lot of cows hmm. for the family you are going to get to wife. So is that have they switched the tradition, like the initiation into manhood, into mm-hmm. something else? Now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now they switch for cow, not more mm-hmm. killing lions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still they do some of places. Uh, they do it, but it's not allowed by government, especially when they come and try to eat their livestock. Right. Because the big enemy for their livestock is lions, hyena, mm-hmm. and leopard. So sometimes they can do it, but they're not allowed anymore. Yeah. Right. Do you feel like 
when you were growing up that you saw a lot of changes from the traditions of the Maasai and to what's going on now as far as like the population growing and the traditions changing? Like, did you sort of see the difference between how your grandfather grew up and how you grew up? The changes? Yeah, it's yeah. big changes. Like those years, like my grandpa, he took me while I was seven years old. So it's big change from now in terms of the weather, in terms of uh, uh, food, mm. uh, in terms of lifestyle. Uh, so uh, demand of lifestyle is changed. It's changed everything now. So uh, things have started to change, especially uh, for us at the moment. Yeah. Did your grandfather ever have a job, like a normal job, making money? So my grandfather never had a job, but he had a lot of cows. Right. Yeah. So he yeah. lived the traditional, traditional way. way. Yeah. And and you were raised by your grandfather. I was raised by my grandfather in a village. So he took me while I was seven years old, for which it was not easy to my parent, especially my mom. So I didn't know why why my grandfather loved me so much. So remember, there were a lot of childrens. As what I said, my grandfather's got yeah. six wife. Yeah. So there were a lot of children, but only you know, he loved this, me so much. So I was in town. So for me to go to the village, I was so happy. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she was not happy at all. And my mom, she said, no, I will not allow to take my son. Because if you will take my son, there is no education in a village. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you want to re- if you want to destroy the life of Elia, if you take him, there is no future anymore for Elia. But my grandpa said to them, if you will not give Elia, I will leave cast to you. If I will die, you too, you will not enjoy your lives. And then from there... I say that again? If, if I don't take Elia, what if happens? If I will not take Elia, I will not bless you. I will not bless you. Yeah. So like a, a curse, yeah, a negative... Like a curse, yeah. Really? And then uh, my, my father was so worried and telling my mom, like, hey, let's, <laughs> let's leave this happen. And then I was so happy. How old seven, were you? I was seven years old. I uh, won't forget. It's years, but I won't forget. So I was so happy, you know, just packing my clothes. And then uh, we went with my mom to getting a bus. It was only one bus. And then around 10, if you have to be in a station bus. If you will miss that bus, you have to wait until tomorrow. Yeah. So I went there, and then even like a six hour, all the way, way to Nemanga, which is close to Kenya. And then... Uh, there is another station, is where we went off. I found my grandfather, then we met my grandfather with donkey. So the way we went together jumping on a donkey, and then we have like a three hour. To wow. a long yeah. donkey ride. Yeah, to the donkey ride, three hours to the village. Then, uh, so those wives and children, they were so happy to see me. And my grandpa said to them, wherever you see this son, it's like you see me. Mm-hmm. So take care of him. So I was there, that's where I started in my primary school, and then, yeah. Why did your grandfather want you so much? He had many, many grandchildren, I'm sure. Yeah, so until now, until now, I don't know why, but uh, I saw big, 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 big blessing from him. So he taught me many things. Uh, He showed me a light, always encouraging me about schools, he said, like, the only things which you have to do now is about education, because when your time it will come, it will not be like now, because now I'm not education, but still I can survive. But your time, where you'll be full-grown enough, the only things it will help you 
is about education. And that's the way I saw my career. Like, I want to be a guide. Wherever mm -hmm. we walk out with him, he taught me the master way about animal, yeah. about astronomy, clouds. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you said, when you were saying your grandfather said, when you are a man, you will need your education. Yeah. But, and that's true, yeah. like you speak English yeah. and you read and you write and you drive cars and you, you have all this stuff. But what makes you such a great guide more than the other guides is your understanding of the animals, which came from him, right? You're right. Yeah, you're right. By experience, being out with them a lot, like a place where normally we go uh, looking after shepherd and goat. It's like, a, it's like a swamp when it's raining. So dry season is remaining green. And then animal, wildlife animal, they migrate from Gorongoro to West Kilimanjaro. So they use that way. And that, that area is where normally we spend like all day just mm. for grazing for their livestock. Right. So from there is where uh, he taught me a few things about animal. Like if it's dry time, like you see, look at those zebras, they have gone mad. It means this is the end, this place where they came, there is no enough water because they try getting water, so that's where they get mud. Ah, they so have to get close to the water and step in the uh, mud, right? So though the signs which he, he taught me, like when you see like this, it means you have to prepare yourself. Like some things start getting dry and dry and dry and dry. Right. Yeah. Did the, like how, I imagine, you know, the wild animals were protected for the parks and for tourists to come. And the Maasai couldn't really interact or couldn't, you know, do these, the killing of the lion or um, do you feel like the attitude of the Maasai toward the wildlife changed because they were sort of kept out of their lands? Does that make sense? <laughs> the relationship like, yeah. between Maasai and animals Anim yeah. is different because of the parks. So you, the Maasai couldn't hunt. Well, they didn't really hunt they before, hunt, right? Yeah. yeah. So Maasai, they are not really hunt. They depend yeah. for their livestock, which is a cow, sheep, and goat. Yeah. And the big, en big enemy for them is predators like a lions, yeah. leopards, and hyena. Yeah. So these three predators, they are never being friendly with Maasai. Mm. Right. But the rest of other animals, they are so friendly with Maasai. Uh -huh. mm. and, and this has happened uh, those years. Sometimes... You can have in your cows, you can see wild beast and zebra, they're coming close to the cow, they go all together to drink water mm. because they feel more safe. Mm. They know if there is a cow, it means there is a Maasai. Uh -huh. If there is a Maasai, there is no lion's clothes. Right. Yeah, that's how it was. But Maasai and lions and cheetah hyenas, they'll never be friendly. So they were always seen as like a sort of an enemy yeah, to, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But what about like the zebras and the wildebeest? They're drinking the same water that the cows need. They, and, and they drink the same water. Yeah. And for us, we drink the same water which animal they drink. Yeah. yeah so, so we all share the same water. But the Maasai with never want to kill the zebras or make them go away because they're taking water from the cows. Uh, so in that area still, it was a plenty of water. Uh, so okay. they can like all share. But now things are getting, you know, the weather is changing, everything gets dry. Mm. So it might be sometimes demand demand like that, but they are but the good things about Maasai they migrate, you know they they are nomadic, they move, especially to track green pastures. Yeah. So some some places they go where 
it's normal village with less animals. Some place they go away from wildlife conservations. They go in the mountains just to keep searching. For Is there enough land for the Maasai to move? Yeah, plenty of land, plenty of land, which uh-huh. all year round they can move. But now populations is became bigger and bigger. So now there is a fight between farmer, agricultures, yeah. and Maasai. Yeah. Because they, they all depend on water, especially dry season. So farmers, they go down to the, to the rivers, and Maasai have to go down to the rivers. So it's a big conflict between now Maasai and farmer. And this is where by government they have to coming in to try to make Maasai to understand. It's better for them to keep less cow, but in a good condition. Mm-hmm. Because Maasai they believe in numbers, so they, so they don't care. They don't care how many skin cow they have, so they believe about numbers. Like I've got hundred cows. Right. Mm-hmm. So government now they're working hard to try to educate them. It's better to you can keep less cow, but in a good condition more than having hundred cow wow. in bad conditions. So, and the same with babies. Uh, it's in terms of babies, uh, it's still not. So they can marry as they want. They can have many children as they want. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is the problem, right? Because the population is growing yeah. so fast. When the population is growing so, yeah. Yeah, I was like, is it, you know, I when you read in the news and stuff, you hear that because of the parks and like they make the Maasai land smaller and smaller and smaller, but the population grows and grows and grows. And I wonder if there was still free land for them to roam everywhere, if it would be okay. Like, what is the conflict uh, between the government and the Maasai? Wow, that's really serious topic about, about it. So, uh, for sure, the land, especially where Maasai they live, you will not compare like a 50 years back. Yeah. Now, you know, population of people is became bigger and bigger, less rainy only small amount where it has good water and grasses yeah. and everybody fighting for it. And this is only happening dry season. Dry season is where there is a limited place for them to go. Mm-hmm. So they have to fight in one land. Yeah. But when it's raining, it's where they'll have big space, big land where they can go looking for grasses, plenty of water. Mm-hmm. So this conflict is only happening in dry season mm-hmm. where they try to go through national parks searching for water, ah, okay where get driving very crazy because most of them, they lost their cow. Mm-hmm. But this is only happened dry season. After raining, yeah. the peace remains, so plenty of grasses. And dry season comes earlier yeah. and earlier now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I wonder how it feels for you because you live in two worlds. Yes. Right? You live, you understand the Maasai world, Maasai world, I say Maasai all the time, Maasai. <laughs> and you understand this world of Wi-Fi and phones and tourists. driving and tourists <laughs> and Montana and everything. Yeah. And uh, is this, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you're lucky that you see these two worlds or do you feel sad that that you're a little bit in this world and a little bit in this world? Well, so talking in behalf of, uh, of other people, I'm really feeling very sad uh, because uh, mostly of uh, Maasai, they, they kind of like uh, changing their lifestyle because of demand of life, things getting expensive compared to those years where I grew up with a migrant father. Yeah. So now 
to get food it's so hard you know uh, to get grasses for the cow it's so hard yeah and then uh, tourism is tourism sector is very important but in the other end it's really uh, changing people so we are so lucky it's good but it's changing people especially uh, uh, we have some lodges uh, where people they have lodges along Maasai area and uh, most of those lodges they employ the Maasai so Maasai, when they walk to the lodges, they meet different people around the world. They meet people from a rich big city, and then they all share one table. They talk. And then from there is where Maasai, they realize, hey, man, where place where I live is not a place. It's like a... It's uh, not a place. It's not special. It's not special. Yeah. Because look here, there is electricity. You know, yeah. I can use fork and knife. Oh, I can have a proper meal. I can have soda. And then from there, automatically they're changing their mentality. Like, hey, so now it seems like I have to work. I have to go to school mm-hmm. to, to have more, more better life. And this is only for the, for the new generations. But the older people, they don't care about it. So the, older gen- the new generations, they're keen, you know, to, have, to live in towns, to have new phones, laptops, you know new yeah. clothes, and then they start to uh, forget place where they came, you know, they start forget their houses, styles, you know, they, mm. they, they're moving to town, moving to town, and then they only left the older people behind it. Yeah. But not all people, they were getting a chance to walk in these lodges, only few of them, so they will understand, but the rest of others still, they will not understand. And what do you think about that when you know people like us come here and want to go with the Hadza, for example, mm-hmm. or want to see the Maasai, how they're living, the simple, traditional kind of life? Does it seem strange to you, like like the Maasai are going this way and uh, the tourists are trying to go this way? <laughs> Some tourists. <laughs> Some tourists, you know, like, oh, you're so lucky. You it's can, simple. And you see the stars yeah, yeah. and you don't have to go to work. <laughs> yeah. You're so lucky. And the Maasai say, no, I want to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> Sometimes you think, like, they are crazy. This is a good life? Yeah. This is a good life? So like, they ask, like, oh, man. I wish I could live this life, no stressful. <laughs> like, that's what you said. But normally for us, we think like, hey, these people, they're craving. They wish to live this life. <laughs> you know, because we don't have exposure yeah. to see Europe, America, how, how that they live. So we have no idea. What you see on television. You right? just only see on television. Yeah. I've never seen ice. I've never even, I've never like a snow. Like a snow yeah. You know? yeah. We only see in televisions. Yeah. So like, so we believe like every, every good things is came from Europe, America. So, as, and for us, because we don't know anything, it's like, oh, we wish to go there and see. We wish we could be there. To, but we have no idea. But maybe if you could have idea, is where we can understand most of the people coming in and say like, oh, you guys, you are so lucky to be here. But problems, we don't have exposure like to see other people they live in. Like you said, some people think that uh, white people have machines that make money. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's where, it's where mostly we believe. Like, hey, these people, they're the one they own money. Yeah. So wherever they see you, like, oh, they know other guy that got money, they right. got money. It's yeah. where mostly, mostly, mostly for us, most of the children's, so that's what they, they will ask him something from you. Because and this is happening because remember, when the missionaries, they came in, always they tried to help us. 
Mm. It's not a meaning they've got something, but they try to help us. And when they try to help us, we think like, oh, these people, they are the one that make money. Mm. They are the one that make money. How how come they help us? We do like that. This things is really confused. Like how come they help us? <laughs> how can we pay them for free? How yeah. come they yeah. help us for free? Right. So people like oh these people they have got money. Uh, they don't know where to take. That's where it comes from. Yeah, they don't know where to take. So that's what they bring to us. Why? Why they help us? Yeah. Because we don't pay them back. So 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 that mentality is where making children like oh. Ah, this they have good money because in the schools when the missionary is coming, you know, they bought some things for children, you know, giving for free. Like a free? I didn't work for you, give me something free. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there is where it created yeah. a mentality like these people they must have a machine to make money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of young people, especially in America, like white we we think that the Maasai and the indigenous populations must hate the white tourists and tourism because we think we're taking the tradition away from all of you. But then it's interesting to come here and you say things like, no, they don't hate tourists or tourism because it's brought them a lot of good things. Um, is that correct? Yeah, you're yeah. really correct. So. Maasai not only not, not only America Western people they love them in general Maasai even other tribal like here in Tanzania have got almost 120 tribal but when you crash to the Maasai family they will take you as a member of the family they will feed you they will love you they have got true love true love but in terms of uh, the uh, white people coming in so they love them so much simply they help them in terms of about health. So we have some of Lutheran churches, you know, they donated a lot about hospitals, schools. So it's like it bring life to them in the other end. Can you imagine like those years? So women, they have to work like a few kilometers, even like a 30 kilometers, you know, just to go in a hospital. Maybe she's about having a baby. And then nowadays, you know, we saw all these uh, uh, sponsored, and then we have hospitals around. So it's like you help their life. Now they realize, oh, those white people, they build a hospital. They're a dispenser. Oh, they drill water. So now we'll not cover like 100 miles against aging water. Mm. Some like specifically maybe angels, you know, they donated water. And now get water. And then from there, you know, it's remain happy wherever they see white people. They always follow you, you know, talk to you. Sometimes you think like, why these people, they call me? It's how they feel. You know, mm. it's they feel like you follow you, feeling happy. Mm. Like feeling happy, yeah. What confuses you about white people? Is there anything, like the other day we were in the, in the Land Cruiser and you said, ah, oh, sometimes I don't understand. Do these people live in the world? Do they live in this world? It's like they never see dust. They never... Remember we were in that? Yes. It's like, ah, oh, they never they are bumpy roads. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what we were talking about, right? Yeah. People, yeah, we were talking about when you're on safari with, like, women who don't want to pee outside and you have to drive all the way back to the camp because she wants to pee. It's like, wow, what what is your world like? It's so strange. Yeah, you know, for me, I'm a guide, so I just meet different people around yeah. the world. And some of them, 
it's like uh, they're not living this world like uh, the way the way they live like uh, seeing a bug like uh, they freaking out like oh, I'm dying I'm dying I'm dying <laughs> like uh, wherever they see dust they're like wow Yeah, so those things like make him like, oh, it's like where are we living? It's like it's far from, it's far from people they do. It's like you keep yeah. asking yourself questions because I've never been in Europe, I've never been in America, so I have no idea. So when I'm crossing people like that, like yeah. a day, like a keep asking myself so it means in this world there is a people they born until they die they never see dust <laughs> and I keep asking myself like this like or bugs or oh, oh, bugs and then sometimes I say oh maybe they're so lucky enough you know? they're, so, they're so lucky enough yeah yeah I don't know how lucky that is or snakes uh, we don't see snakes, snakes. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes they ask me for air conditions like what is air condition you know <laughs> for what like yeah. oh really I need air condition it's like you know those things are not really very common especially where we live yeah. but in a big big city people they have air conditions but yeah. I'm talking about big majority of people big number of us we have no idea what is what is air condition yeah yeah Yeah. So you said uh, the other day I was asking you if you uh, had any famous clients before Anya. She's your most famous client, right? And you. So what you do? Do you tell me you you had in your truck? So we had a Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah. Right. Will Smith. Which is a little ironic because you look a little bit like Chris Rock. <laughs> so he didn't slap you, right? No, he didn't. So he was in the Serengeti with a big crew. Yeah. So we were out with him and then, yeah, it was so nice. Like only, you know, saw him televisions. Yeah. So you see someone naked eyes, you feel like a jumping out of a skin. Like, wow. Yeah. It's here. It's the one. It's the one. Yeah. It's the one. So. That's a big surprise, yeah. But you also work with um, photographers and filmmakers from, what, National Geographic, BBC, lots of big, uh, famous companies and... Yeah, sure. So, did a lot of with uh, films, photographer. Who was the photographer you told me about the other day you worked with? Uh, is there is a guy, it's called uh, Nicky Brandt. Yeah, yeah Nicky right. Brandt. So being with him like a few years, like years ago, we were in a Serengeti. So mostly do black and white pictures. So, yeah. yeah so. And why do they choose you? What, did he ask for you or was it just uh, chance? It's actually by chance. Mm. It's uh. by chance. And I always, when I'm getting a chance, I have to use it as I can because it's like a golden chance. So I have to tell who I am. Yeah. That's where that's how I live. Wherever I get safari, I just do it. Yeah. With all my heart because I don't know what it will happen tomorrow. And you're very uh you're very good not only with uh, animal behavior but also you you find the best vantage point with the light and what's in the background like you are thinking like a photographer. So I f- imagine for them, that's very important. They notice that. Like someone else would pull there and you have to shoot into the light. Uh, that's not good. So you know where to go. Yes, yeah, sure. I was so lucky. Uh, before joining Gladiola Adventure, I was working one of another company. So they, 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 before they trained me so much, 
So they trained. Oh, they taught you about yeah, that also. They taught me wow. about 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 photographer things. So photographer mm-hmm. is a big subject. So you need to understand about parking the car. It's mostly important about the lights, and then to understand about being prompt. That's mostly important too. Not only to shoot the back of animals, so you understand right. this animal is going to move. Mm. So before you move, you are the one you start having a nice angle just to get right. to get the face. Yeah, you did that many times. You you said like, ah, I think this animal is going. <laughs> she's to yawned move. three times. Right. <laughs> right. Now she's gonna. Move. I just learned this. Predators yeah. mm-hmm. when they yawn three times, uh-huh. they're going to move. Yeah, is a, is a, is a good sign. So remember, for these photographers when they're coming here, we yeah. call this a project. So project he has to be done very well. Right. So you as a guide, you have got almost 95% to achieve the project. Mm-hmm. So that 95% is a big is a big 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 point. So yeah. so you have to make sure the project is going to be successful. So always is a big load, you know, you have in your mind like I have to achieve this. I have to achieve this. I have to achieve this. Even sometimes you sleep you don't like really sleep, you just keep like, what about tomorrow? What is going to happen? These people, they will get what they want. So eventually you find yourself, you have got too, too, too much pressure more than them because you want this happen. Yeah. Do, do most guides feel this way, do you think? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, so this is all about, uh, it seems it seem like we are all guides. So we all love being a guide or sometimes we... we it, it was opportunity to get into getting a job as a guide, mm. but for me it was not opportunity. It was my it was my it was my lovely job. So right. before I was a mechanics, mm. so so and then I saved my money and then I had to attend evening class. I have to work as a mechanics evening right. class, mechanics evening class, just to achieve what I want, which it was not easy. Right. It was your intention. Yeah. It's not like you had a brother or no, an no, uncle no, who no, got no, you no, a job. No, and no, no, no. no. You yeah. intended to yeah. do this. It was me, like I tried save my money, learning my English, learning about wildlife, save my money, learning about English, save my save my money, learning about wildlife. That's how it was my life. So and, until you know, I achieved my goal being a guide. So I love being guide. I love being out. So it's my heart. So it's so hard to talk about other because I don't know how they feel. They feel as a normal job, but for me always I just enjoy being out. What, what appealed, attracted to you? What was most attractive about being a guide? Why did you want to be a guide? Ah, uh, wow. So first of all, I love people. Mm. So I love people, and uh, I love to meet different people. So the only way for me to 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 meet people is to be a guide, because being a guide, you can be able. To learn from different around the world, mm. so being a guide is like you're in a center, so you'll be able to know from America, Asia, you know, many people. Apart from apart from that, I love I love wildlife. Mm. I love wildlife. That's that's I found myself. I love wildlife. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what I said earlier. You you're living in two worlds. Yeah, and the guide is the bridge between yeah. those worlds. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, and also, is it strange because, like, the Maasai, like, they see the predators as the enemy of the cattle, but then the tourists come and they want to take all these photos of the predators and they make television shows about it. Does Did that feel strange at all, the sort of attitude toward certain animals? Wow. Uh, 
it's not it's not really uh feeling strange for us mm. we only feel it very strange for us uh if uh the predator try coming to taking our wildlife but mm. in terms of in terms of you guys coming and take pictures and enjoy uh still for us we feel so happy as yeah. long as the lions didn't interfere our, our livestock is away from us we feel we feel relaxed and we feeling happy mm. because it's something it's something everybody want to see even if for us if lions crossing to our village it's like a, it's big things yeah like hey there is a big intruders coming in big intruders so if it's big intruder everyone want to see even no matter is already killed but everyone everyone want to see so it's kind of like a something special for everyone although it's enemy for us but it's very special for everyone mm. and we value yeah can you the other day we were asking you uh, everyone was talking about their favorite animal yeah yours was the hyena right can you tell us that story about why the hyena is special for you yeah sure just remind me is and is sure hyena is my favorite animal uh, simply I got big lesson to my grandpa because of Ayena. A little bit is the story. So those years about 10 to 12 years old. Uh we always weekend Saturday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, the day which uh stay at home with my grandpa. It's not day school. Mm. So I stayed with my grandfather and always I was so happy to go looking for livestock, especially sheep and goat and calf. So those calf always they not stay away from home but the rest of big cow they have to go away from home. Mm. So so those days we went out to see my grandfather in the middle of nowhere we were looking after them and then they were like a 20 meters away from us we were under the tree because it was so hot. And then while we were there my grandpa was sleeping but for me I was like looking around because it's all the my grandpa at that time. It was like taking a nap under the tree. And then uh, I heard a strange noise. It came from the ship. And then I woke up my grandpa. And then he woke up like, hey, what's that? And then there, there is a sound. And then we heard the same strange noise. Like, and then he said, go and have a look. So I was so young. I just running, running, running. And then I saw Ayena. And that it was my first time to see Ayena. Mm-hmm. So I was so crying and panicked. and running to my grandpa so my grandpa was so worried like hey, what happened and then what happened i say there is there is there is a hyena and then he stopped to me he said look at me look at me why are you crying why are you running you are a man remember i was 12 years old but he said to me you are a man you are a man so you as a man wherever you see any problems don't running away from you that the rule number one being a, being a real man so you have to solve your problems because when you run other people they will laughing on you mm-hmm. and then he said to me so one day you'll have a family you'll have children you'll have wives like me always there is a problems coming in and then he started to say to me do you know every morning people coming at home and then 75 75% of all people coming at home they have the same problems about family problems So you have to stay as a man to solve your problems because if you stay as a man you will keep roaming to telling people how they can help you and other people 
they will think you're stupid. Other people, they will understand you. And then from there, you show your weakness to the people. But always, no matter is any critical situations, stand at the man. Take it easy, finish your problems. Okay, now let's go see what happened. And then I remember I said before, don't be coward like your father. As what I said, when my father, he had a kill, so he killed a lioness. And then that mission could happen. So he left home. Oh. That's where I met my mom. So and they said, like, don't, don't be cold like your father, but I could understand. So he said, like, now let's go together to see what happened. And now you have to be front. You need to protect him. Take the spear. Like, no, no, I can't do it. No, no, you have to be, you have to be strong. I uh. said, look at me. You are strong. But I'm sure he knew that Ayana is nothing for him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went, but still I was boring, like, push yeah. me on the back. Yeah. Push me on the back. And then he went, we went close, close, and then Ayena ran him off. You see, look at that. So Ayena, he saw as we are much confident what we're doing. Yeah. So that's why we went close and close and close, he's running away. So it's same to you. So when the problem is coming to you, just stay strong, go forward, go forward, and eventually you'll find your way. So the same like Ayena, but it was too late because the stomach material of uh, the goat was out, mm. and then he had a machete, so he cut the goat. And then we took meat back mm. to the home. Mm. So and then from there, I won't forget until now and tomorrow. And always, and I keep sharing with people. That's it's, it's, it's amazing. Remember, I was a young, but the way he treated me, it's like I'm full groaning. So, so those strong words, I won't forget until now. So from that, from then, wherever I just see Ayena, just reminding me my grandpa, mm. rest in peace. Mm. So it reminded me the way we were living with him, the way we were out with him. Yeah. Your grandpa was 96 when 96, he died? Yeah, he died while he was 96. And then I, I left, uh, still uh, have his house, ah. few clothes, the mattress, which he was a skin of cows, like layers. Ah. So that's where I belong. So just try to visit as I can, wherever I'm getting a chance, I have to go to try visit as I can. So he lost, uh, so the only... Two wife there remains. Yeah. How was the relationship between your father and your grandfather? Uh, it was not good, but eventually they fixed. So my grand, my, my father, you know, as you know, uh, when he escaped the home, you know, he went away from home. Always you as a parent, you know, you feel something, although yeah. he did something wrong. And then eventually my, my grandpa was trying to find him, but he could find it. Mm. And then uh, eventually my grandpa, you know, he just came home. When he came home, when my, my, my grandpa saw his son, he's always crying. Mm. Where have you been? And then I bought some gift. Always, you know, it's a blood, you know, no matter what, you, you, know, you feel it from your heart. And then from there, you know, they finished there. So your father left not because they told him to leave, but because he felt yeah, I shame. Felt, yeah, I felt shame. Yeah. That's where I left and that's where I met my mom in Kenya. Yeah. yeah. So for you, it, it's good, <laughs> Yeah, for me, I'm so... Because he wouldn't have met your mom, right? Yeah, sure. For me, it's good. He was, he was the reason. Otherwise, I could not even be now. Maybe yeah. I could not even exist in this world. Yeah. And then in the other hand, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to spend uh, to spend my time with my grandfather. He showed me light. I wonder if, if your grandfather 
like part of his love for you was that he loved his son and you are part of his son, but there was this problem and do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like, understand like what it's, you mean. it's clean yeah. and there's no uh-huh. history. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so he sees uh-huh. some of your father uh-huh. and you maybe. Uh-huh. You know what happened in a mass, I, uh, for instance, uh, uh, we have we have heritage. We can heritage something to your father. So let's say you have got ten wives. You have got uh, seventy children. So before you die, or you you, you try to make someone to heritage to heritage you, like uh, your lives, like uh, in terms of everything. So same like uh, same like a uh, my grandpa. I think uh, he saw me like uh, mm. I think my her- I have to heritage mm. what I have. Earlier, right? So maybe he could see one of his friend, one of his children's, yeah. So one of his wives, he only saw me. And this something is not about someone to tell you, it's something from your heart. Mm. Sometimes you're just sleeping and dreaming about it. Same like a, you have children, you have to tell you your houses, you know, money is like that. Same like a Maasai. So I think I was so lucky. Maybe it's God show him, I don't know. So until now, what I remember he said to me is just, I bless you, whatever you do, wherever you go, with your whole generation, mm. is what he said to me. So always for me, wherever I go, I can see sometimes, like you see there is no way, but always they just keep pushing, pushing, and I find a way, and I keep going, I keep going. So always for me, I said, you know, it's a blessing to my grandpa, mm. yeah. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to that conversation with Elia. It was so nice to have him be our guide on the safari and to allow him to share his own experiences with me and to, I know he didn't mean to do this, but he really opened my eyes to a lot of complexity and nuance that I hadn't considered and made me feel less guilty about being an asshole tourist, which doesn't mean I don't still feel guilty and confused about the nature of going to Africa and doing a safari. Like it's still, it's still complex, but I was grateful to have my mind open in ways that I didn't expect. And, uh, he was extremely kind and, um, educated and, It was a blast to be with him for 10 days. We were a little worried, like, maybe we should just do our own safari because if we get paired with a guide who's, like, not cool, we have to, like, be in a car with a guy for 10 days who we don't know who's not cool. And thankfully, Elliot was, like, literally the opposite. It was so fun uh, to be around him. And if I ever do that again, I would definitely do another um, safari with Elia. And he's extremely informed about uh, so many different things and... um, I think we probably will actually go back to Africa and probably do something far different than we did the first time, uh, do something a bit more unconventional, but he's, we would 100% work with him again. So reach out to Gladiola Adventures if you would like to contact him. Okay, so I'm going to play you out today with another song by The Soil. This one is called Asante Sana, uh, which means thank you in Swahili. And... um, yeah, when I first found this band, I just thought it was ironic that they're singing a song, Asante Sana, Tanzania. And that's how I was feeling. I was feeling like so grateful to have this, having had this experience in Tanzania and really being shown so many different things that I never could have predicted. And um, funny tidbit, <laughs> there's this thing. When we got to Tanzania, we realized that everyone 
was, who was from there, was saying, like, would come up to our table or something out of the blue, or just, like, we'd walk into a restaurant, and they would say, you're welcome. And we were just like, oh, shit, like, we didn't say thank you. Like, we have to say thank you. It was like this weird call and response thing. They say caribou, which is, uh, you're welcome. And they would say, you're welcome, and they would sort of just stand there, and we're like, oh, thank you, thank you. Like, I'm sorry for not saying thank you. Like, thank you for welcoming me. Uh, and this kept happening over and over again. It was like things were flipped. Like for us, we say thank you and then someone says you're welcome. But uh, in Tanzania, everyone was saying you're welcome. And then I, we all felt really guilty for not saying thank you. Or like, is there something else we should be saying? Anyway, so we brought this up to Elia. And he was like, oh my God, like, thank you for saying that. I've always wondered why like people that I take on these safaris or that I interact with who speak English are like, they look, they seem confused. Or when I say you're welcome, they think, they have to say thank you. And it's always been this like strange thing. And you guys are the first people to point this out to me. Um, and so in Swahili, like, it's not you're welcome as a response to thank you. It's like, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. And I think, of course, language can be such an interesting reflection of culture, of course. And so what does it mean for a culture to say you're welcome? first and not even require the thank you versus the culture that says and feels pressure to say thank you, which then requires the response of you're welcome. Anyway, that was fascinating. So anyway, this song is called Asante Sana, Tanzania, which means thank you, Tanzania. And that's how I feel. Thank you to that experience, to that country, culture, and especially to Elia. And thank you to all of you as well for being here with me. If you would like to join the community, and interact directly with me and other listeners. Substack is the place to do that. Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot substack.com. Again, you can join for free, or if you have the means to subscribe for $5 a month, I'd really appreciate it. It helps me keep the, lights, keep the lights on and also allows me to bring the content for free to other people who might not be able to afford that. Thank you for being here with me today. As always, thank you for spending your time listening and participating in this project. Sending you all love.